the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. spectacular people welcome to this 248th episode of the history ghost bump podcast ghost tours for the theater of the mind i am your host diane and this is denise on this episode we are going to one of our most favorite cities in all of the world venice it is a lovely city and i absolutely love it there We're going to be talking about the legends of venice this was suggested to us by our listener mindy king who lives over there Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Kathy with a C. Hey, Kathy with a C. Bonnie. Hi, Bonnie. Colleen. Hello, Colleen. Paul. Hi, Paul. Carolyn with a C. Hello, Carolyn with a C. Karen with a K. Hey, Karen with a K. Roshana. Hello, Roshana. Fran. Hey, Fran. Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Angela. Hello, Angela. I believe this is Cindy, but it's with an S. Hello, Cindy with an S. Dustin. Hi, Dustin. Margie. Hey, Margie. Whitney. Hello, Whitney. And I hope this is Lisa with two S's. Hello, Lisa with two S's. She's from Australia, so it could be a little different. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And now, this moment in oddity. The moment in oddity was suggested by Elizabeth, a.k.a. Coilette, on Twitter. There's a cemetery tucked into the suburbs of Iowa City that is host to a reputedly cursed statue. That cemetery is Oakland Cemetery, and behind its iron gates, one will find the Black Angel. Finding a black statue in a cemetery is unique. Most of us are used to seeing marble or granite statues that generally gleam a whitish or gray hue. The Black Angel was not always black. The eight-foot-tall winged figure was once a glimmering gold color. A woman named Teresa Dolfel Feldevert commissioned it in 1912 to watch over the graves of her young son and husband. Teresa herself died in 1924 and her ashes were entoured with her family at that time. The monument was meant to be a symbol of Teresa's sorrow, but somehow after Teresa passed, the statue went from symbolic to cursed. That diabolical curse claims that anyone who touches the angel will die. The statue quickly turned from gold to black. It started from the top and worked itself down as if sorrow were slowly covering over the angel. Rumors about what started the curse ranged from Teresa's husband causing the curse because she'd been unfaithful to him after his death, to Teresa herself being a witch who had cursed the statue. Do people really drop dead after kissing or touching the black angel? Stories claim the only way to avoid certain death is to be a virgin when you touch the figure. A story claims that a young woman kissed the feet of the angel and dropped dead six months later. 
Another man, who claimed the curse was just a story, boasted to his friends that he would touch the statue and be fine. He had a massive heart attack right after following up on that boast by touching the angel. People taking pictures here catch weird light anomalies. Paranormal investigators have recorded ghostly EVPs and weird temperature fluctuations that seem to indicate that the statue is warm, even on a cold winter day. If the Black Angel really is cursed, that certainly would be odd. Are you afraid of the dark? That's just silly. What you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. (laughs) And now, this month in history. In the month of March, on the 19th in 1590, William Bradford was born. Bradford was born to Alice and William Bradford in Osterfield, West Riding of Yorkshire. He suffered great tragedies in his childhood as he lost his parents and a grandfather and ended up an orphan. Childhood sickness left him with not much to do but read, which led him to have an intellectual curiosity. His reading started him on the path of separatism, and he eventually moved to Leiden in Holland to escape persecution from King James I of England. A group of separatists gathered and made plans to immigrate to America. They enjoyed the freedom the Dutch provided them, but they didn't want their children influenced by their customs. The group left on the Mayflower and landed in what would become Plymouth Colony in 1620. Bradford was a signatory to the Mayflower Compact and went on to serve as governor of the Plymouth Colony intermittently. He died on May 9, 1657. Venice is considered one of the most romantic cities in the world, and it really is an extraordinary and unusual city. The city gives the illusion as though it is floating on water as most of its streets are canals. The centerpiece of Venice is its Grand Canal that is lined with buildings whose origins date back centuries. Venice itself was founded centuries ago, and any city that old is sure to have its share of tales of ghosts and curses. One only has to glimpse just past the Venetian masks, Verano lace, Murano glass, and gondolas to see the sordid and haunted past of Venice. Join us as we share a brief history of Venice and its legends and hauntings. Denise, I thought for sure, Venice, my gosh, this place has got to be crawling with ghosts. You would think so. This was one of the hardest episodes I've had to research because there is so little information out there. I don't know if Venice just doesn't want to talk about what's going on there, because it has to be incredibly haunted, you would think. So we managed to find a handful of legends and a couple of ghosts, but that's all I could get, and there's not a whole lot of detail to them either. Not at least the kind of detail that we like to share on this show. So one of these days, we're going to have to get back to Venice, Denise, and go on one of the ghost tours they have there so that we can find out something about the ghosts there. The only thing I could find that had anything about the ghosts really was a book, but it was in Italian, so I couldn't even look at that. Let me see. Twist my arm. Go back to Venice. Okay, you win. So our first time that we went to Venice was in when? 2001. 
And although at the time it was a rather dirty, noisy, congested type city, we absolutely loved it. We returned in 2014 on a Mediterranean cruise that launched out of Venice. And what a change. A lot of things had been restored. It was clean. The canal didn't look like sewage. It was just gorgeous. It was already one of our most favorite cities in the world. And that just upped it that much more for us. It's so I just I can't even tell you how neat it is to go to a place where basically all the roads are just water. And since we love water, it was perfect for us. Unfortunately, the way it's been built, a lot of it is sinking. Well, yeah, because you can imagine the erosion that's bad enough when you're on dry land, but when you constantly have the water hitting it and underneath it, it's it's pretty bad. Don't think they allow it anymore, but we got to take the cruise ship right down the Grand Canal and talk about a view. Oh, it was phenomenal. And then, of course, before we went wandering through all the little shops, the glass shops, I could just wander through forever and ever. They're just beautiful and they just sparkle. And I love glass. So that was really, really a treat. And the first time we went, we chose to go over to the island of Burano. And that's where we got some lace. We got to see how they make lace there. It's their specialty. And the really cool thing about that island is all the houses on it are painted really bright colors. And it's because it was also a fishing kind of village. And that was the way for the fishermen when they were coming back home, they could see their home from their ships because they knew what color their home was and they were so bright they could see them. So when we went back the second time, we decided instead of Burano, we would go to Murano. Thank God we managed to get out of there without buying a $30,000 chandelier because Denise sure wanted to do it. Well, I thought we don't have a chandelier in the dining room and we're going to Venice. So why don't we look at the Murano glass ones? And so I went over. This one was beautiful. It would even though the glass chandeliers have a little bit of more that European look to them, this one could definitely fit in the Asian theme with the colors that it was. I'm like, oh, this one's perfect. $33,000. And Diane said no. Yeah, I said uh, no. (laughs) I said no myself. That was a (laughs) bit much for a chandelier. Just a little. The food there is wonderful and it comes to you in courses. So eating there is an experience that you definitely have to try a couple times. I remember the first time we went, we got so tired of sitting for so long for every single meal that we actually ended up going to a McDonald's for lunch the one time just so we could go explore and do some other things than just sit around eating. And we happened to actually on that excursion find the Venice Disney store as well. It was kind of fun. St. Mark's Square is extraordinary. And it's so neat because since we're down here in Florida, Epcot, the Italian pavilion has little bits and pieces from there. So it has the Doge's Palace right there and the, the tower. And it's just, it was so cool so that you could see it in person. And what was really neat for us is the second time we went, my parents went with us. So it was neat to get to experience through their eyes as well. We just love the basilicas that they have there. Just so beautiful inside and the paintings and the mosaics and murals everywhere. It's just a wonderful experience for the senses. So if you ever get a chance to go to Venice, we highly recommend it. The rest of Italy is really cool too, but Venice is is our favorite. So we should probably tell you a little bit about the history here. And as we said, it's going to be a brief history because obviously we could talk about Venice and its founding and all of the other nuances for a few hours. There's actually whole podcasts on Italy that probably have episodes and episodes on Venice. So this is just going to be a brief little history. The city of Venice dates back to, they believe, 600 AD. Many origin stories developed about the city's founding, but most historians agree that fleeing refugees came to the area trying to get away from the Huns, the Goths, and other barbarians. 
They drove wood pylons into the silt and began building on those pylons. The Lagoon Islands formed a loose federation. Each little community chose a leader to represent them to the Byzantine authority in Ravenna. When the Byzantine Empire lost its grip on Venice, the residents, who were made up of mostly merchant families, elected their first doge in 726 AD. And basically a doge is like a duke. The doge would have a line of successors that would lead the city for more than a thousand years. By the mid-15th century, Venice had transformed into a city with a mix of people and buildings filled with art, imported silks, incense, mosaics, and the buildings showcased unique architecture and decor. So the first place we're going to talk about is the Casa degli Spiriti. Casa degli Spiriti is a palace sitting along the bay in the northern part of the island. The name translates to House of Souls, and that name was inspired by the belief that the palace is cursed. Legends claim that the building was used by occultist sects who invoked the presence of spirits and demons. The ghost that is rumored to haunt this location is said to belong to a painter named Luzo, who lived during the 16th century. He had loved a woman named Cecilia, but she loved another. This rival was another painter named Giorgione. Luzo was so overcome with grief over this that he committed suicide in the palace. Luzo's apparition has been seen since that time, wandering the halls of the palace, and his spirit cries out for his lost love. A murder has also been connected to the Casen degli Spiriti. The dismembered body of a young woman believed to be a prostitute named Linda Owl was found in a trunk in the lagoon of the palace in the 1950s. For this reason, Venetian fishermen will not fish in the waters near the palace. One of the more horrible legends coming out of Venice is the story of the butcher Biasio. The Riva de Biasio is named for this evil man, and when you're out on one of the water taxis, this is one of the stops. He not only served up the finest cuts of meat, but he also prepared broth that was the talk of the city. One day, a small finger was found in a dish, and the police raided the butcher shop. They were horrified to find the organs and body parts of children in the back. Biasio was arrested, had his hands cut off, and was tortured before being beheaded in Piazzo San Marco. The tavern in the house where he lived was raised. No one is sure how many children he killed. And I have no idea why you would name anything for that guy. That just seems insane because he's uh, just disgusting. Palazzo Mocenigo on the Grand Canal has hosted many historical luminaries, including English poet Lord Byron and also Irish poet Thomas More. Today, it is said to host the ghost of a former visitor named Giordano Bruno. Bruno was a Dominican friar who was tried in 1593 by the Roman Catholic Church for heresy. He was charged with denial of several core Catholic doctrines, including eternal damnation, the Trinity, the divinity of Christ, the virginity of Mary, and transubstantiation. He taught reincarnation and believed in pantheism. He was found guilty and burned at the stake in Rome. He gained considerable fame after his death, but his spirit remains at unrest. He seems to have chosen the palace as his place to wander in the afterlife. The Campiello del Rimir is a beautiful courtyard in Venice with a very unbeautiful legend connected to it. People enjoying a coffee at a cafe table may just witness Loredan Fosco's body emerge from the waters of the Grand Canal with the head of his wife, Elena, in his hands. Fosco was a noble in the late 1500s who had become insanely jealous over his wife. 
One day he was chasing her down with a sword and finally caught up to her. Just after he decapitated her, he glanced up to see that the doge had witnessed the whole incident. The doge sentenced him to load the corpse on his shoulders and go to Rome before the Pope. The Pope refused to see him, so Fosco wandered for months with the body. He eventually died or was put to death, but his spirit returned to the Grand Canal to practice his ritual of rising when darkness overtakes the city. The Palazzo Mastelli is also known as the Palazzo del Camello. The latter name is for the high relief of a camel on the outside of the house. The lower floor features the Renaissance style, while the upper floor is done in the Gothic style. The palace was built in 1112 by three brothers from Morea, Sandy, Afani, and Rioba Mastelli. They gained their fortune as silk and spice merchants. There are three statues of the brothers near the entrance of the palace on the east side of the Campo. A legend claims that these statues are the actual brothers who had been turned to stone because of their greed. They sold a poor quality fabric to a Venetian lady for a very high price, and when she discovered the fraud, she cursed the money she gave them. Once they touched the money, they were turned to stone. I have no idea why it has that camel relief on the outside of the house, but it really is a camel carving that is sticking out of the side of this beautiful home. (laughs) I don't know why it is there. It looks kind of out of place, but apparently maybe that's where they were from, the silk and spice from the Middle East. And so I guess that's why they decided to put a camel on their house. And the statues are kind of weird looking of the brothers too. It almost does look like something out of... Was it the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe that the White Queen turned everybody to stone? Uh, Yes. They kind of look that way. So I'm thinking that's where they got this legend from, the idea that they'd been turned to stone. Now there's this place called Palazzo Dario, and this one has a heck of a legend about it. It's an abandoned house sitting right along the canal. And Denise, we've been up and down that Grand Canal several times. So we definitely went past this without knowing just how cursed this building was that we were going by. I think it's had at least 13 of its owners die, most of them from their own hand. Oh, wow. That's like a very, very high odd. Yes, so there's definitely something going on with this property. Some locations are so sinister and oppressive that even though they do not have a traditional haunting, they fit into the parameters of a haunted locations podcast. And when you ask people what is the most haunted location in Venice, they will say Palazzo Dario, generally speaking. We do have another place we're going to talk about in just a moment, but this is between these two. And yet, for as much as I searched, I could find nothing that I would consider to be haunted. No spirits, no ghosts, nothing. So I'm not sure why it's considered the most haunted. Definitely seems to be the most cursed. The Ca Dario or Palazzo Dario is one such location. This grand palace sits alongside the Grand Canal in Venice, Italy. This prime location should make it one of the most sought-after properties to own. But nobody wants to own this building. The reason being that its cursed history has left none of its former owners unscathed. Most of them were left dead. And for those that were not left dead, they were left basically penniless, bankrupted almost all of them. Inscribed on the external wall of Palazzo Dario is a Latin phrase that reads Sabruina insidiosa genero, which translates to whoever lives under this roof will find ruin. And the history here makes it clear that the warning is clearly needed. From what we could find, the palace is currently for sale. There are no takers. 
And I believe the last person to look at it and consider buying it was Woody Allen. I wouldn't say things have been going so well for him. Not at all. But he definitely did not buy it. The first owner was a merchant named Giovanni Dario, and he commissioned it to be built in 1487 as a dowry for his daughter, Marietta. And I just think, wow, how amazing that this building has been here since 1487. After her marriage, Marietta and her family moved into the palace. Shortly after that, Marietta's husband went bankrupt, and then soon the same thing happened to her father. Members of that family would start the trend of owners committing suicide. Nine owners in total would kill themselves. In the 17th century, the governor of Canada brought Palazzo Dario, and not long after, he was dead. This wasn't from suicide, but the circumstances were mysterious. An Armenian merchant of precious stones named Arbit Abdal was the next owner. He went bankrupt and died shortly after buying the building. A British owner was persecuted and scandalized by a homosexual affair he was having in the 19th century, and he killed himself in the palace. More tragedies followed. Another owner named Henry de Rigner became seriously ill after acquiring the building. Then Count Filippo Giordano was killed inside the palace. The manager of the Who, Christoph Lambert, died in the palace of a heart attack. I have no idea why he would have been in the palace. Isn't that interesting that the manager of the Who was there? Yeah, so... I wonder if he was visiting or... Maybe considering it? Who knows? The horrible circumstances did not end in our modern era. The tenor Mario Del Monaco was trying to buy the house in 1964 when he was the victim of a bad car accident. Negotiations broke down after that, and he never owned the home. I don't know if he took that as a warning. Venetian businessman Fabrizio Ferrari bought the house in the early 1980s, and he moved his sister, Nicoletta, in with him. He was bankrupt within months, and his sister died in a car accident. In the latter part of the 1980s, a financier named Raul Gardini moved into the palace and soon suffered a series of economic reverses, and he committed suicide over that. Now, some may claim that these are all just coincidences, but with this kind of record, it would be hard not to believe that the palace is cursed. There are those who claim that the foundation that the building was constructed upon has a negative energy, because, of course, if you've got this cursed building, you have to wonder, where is this coming from? Right, because... I've never heard of so many tragedies and death. We've covered a lot of buildings where they had their share, but this is just like, bam, 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 bam. I honestly, I don't think anybody that has owned this building has not been, had something happen to them. It's everybody. Some say that what happened with the Dario family was normal with their finances. They think the curse started due to Marietta. She had written in her will, I, Marietta, daughter of the late Monsieur Zwan Dario, and at present wife of the nobleman Monsieur Vicenzo Barbaro, considering that nothing is more certain than death, and nothing more uncertain than the hour of death, not wanting to die without a testament so that my affairs are left disordered, sound of mind, intellect, and body, but close to childbirth, sent for the undersigned notary of Venice and requested that he make my testament and after my death that he also complete and confirm it according to the regulations of the city. Always intending that my house that belonged to my father in the area of San Vito go and must go to my male sons and to their male heirs. If there are no sons, I wanted to go to the daughters and I do not want that these sons or daughters in any way during their lifetime dispose, sell, or pawn it but I want it to remain under the above-mentioned condition. 
Could it be that since the palace passed out of the family's hands, that that was when the curse was spawned? Does make you wonder, because she basically was saying, I want this to continue to stay in the family, sons, daughters, it doesn't matter to me. Basically telling them you better not sell it or pawn it off in any way. Now, I'm not sure when she wrote this will, but I have a feeling it would be during her first pregnancy. She was probably about to give birth and might have worried that she was going to die in childbirth. Just the way she's worded it, obviously, she doesn't know if there's going to be sons or daughters. And she does say that it's close to childbirth. Maybe they weren't having a lot of their financial problems then. So that might be why she didn't think that it would be passing out of the family's hands. But obviously, they couldn't hold on to that if they were bankrupt. Not a house that grand. Now we're going to swing over to St. Mark's Square and talk about a couple of columns that they have there, the San Marco and San Todaro columns. Most people don't know that this spot in San Marco Square was the scene of executions of criminals. I certainly wasn't aware of that, Denise, when we were there. I don't think I was aware of that either. One would think that they might tell us in a story and maybe we just didn't hear it. I don't know. Just seems like such a beautiful place there. And you've got the big basilica that's sitting right there on the one end. The Doge's Palace is right there. So maybe because the Doge's Palace is there, that's why this was the scene of executions. But I, wow, I had no idea. Now you could be executed there for committing a whole wide range of crimes just for something as small as stealing to maybe fighting back against the Republic, or even murder. These two columns were actually supposed to be three of them, but one sunk when they were being transported to Venice from Constantinople. It still sits on the bottom of the sea. Now, this seems to be when the curse came upon the columns. I don't know if the one column was upset that he wasn't with his buddies, or what happened there, or if it was because there was already some kind of a curse that one of the columns went into the sea. Or is it that these columns became cursed because you had all of these executions going on here? I happen to think that because they were part of these executions, that's why we've got curses going on here. And more than likely, we have a few hauntings going on as well. Now, this next place is the one that would rival the Palazzo Dario for being the most haunted location in Italy. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are familiar with Italy probably have heard of this very haunted island. Poveglia Island is said to be the island of no return. Poveglia is actually two small islands located off of the coast of Lido in the Venetian Lagoon. Originally, the island served as a port for the Roman Empire. This became the dumping ground for plague victims who were both dead and alive. This started innocently enough as the island was used as a checkpoint for incoming ships. In 1793, there were several cases of the plague on two ships, and the people were left in a confinement station set up by the public health office on the island. This arrangement became permanent in 1805. After the plague had passed, it was decided to put a mental asylum on the island, and the main doctor was an evil man. He turned the asylum into his personal playground, where he would torture and experiment on the patients there. This took place in 1922. He met his death by falling from the tower of the asylum. The legend claims that the ghost of his victims took out their revenge on him by throwing him out of the tower. Today, there is an abandoned church and other structure, which the locals say was a convalescent home. There is also the military octagon still here, because this had been a place where the uh, military was located for some time. The island is primed for ghosts. Locals say that over 160,000 people died on Poveglia Island. 
That's a lot of people. That is a ton of people. No one is supposed to visit the island. A few tour companies will take visitors by on boat, but generally they won't take you to get off there. It's no wonder that people do not want to step foot on an island reputed to be 50% human ash. Ew, I would not want to be on that island. Ghostly mists that strangle are said to rise from that soil. Some say that the torturous doctor survived his fall, but was strangled by that mist. Now, there's a whole lot of opinions when it comes to this island. A lot of this is not documented historically. So we don't know that there really was a doctor there that was torturing people. We don't know that it was necessarily such a horrible place, but there were a lot of people who died there from the plague. You can imagine them shipping a bunch of dead bodies over there along with people who were still alive. I can't imagine that that was a pleasant experience for them. So you've got some incredible energy going on here. So I don't know how we would not have some kind of activity, whether there really was a doctor here torturing people or not. There definitely is enough stuff that was going on here to lead to some kind of negative energy that could be manifesting in some way. And it's enough that the people who were there really don't want to have anything to do with the island. This is definitely a place that they do not take tourists. You can go up and ask a water taxi and they're like, no, I'm not going to take you there. And if you can find one that will take you there, it's going to cost you a pretty penny. Venice has the Venice Ghosts and Legends walking tour. There are many legends about Venice. Are there ghosts hanging around the city? Is Venice haunted? That is for you to decide. And I wish we'd known that they had that Ghosts and Legends walking tour because I would have loved to have done that there. Oh, I definitely would have loved to have done that. Apparently, they meet Denise on the Rialto Bridge, which is the... (laughs) The longest and oldest bridge in Venice. And it's just kind of an inside joke for us. When we went the first time, we heard that over and over and over again. So every time we saw the Rialto Bridge or we were on the Rialto Bridge, we would say that. And we actually have a picture of us up on Facebook standing up there with our little Duffy the Bear. Yeah, it was funny, though, because literally every time we got on the water taxi and they're like, oh, and there's the Rialto Bridge, the longest and oldest bridge in Venice. So it it did become our little inside joke. Well, that was very interesting. And again, just a wonderfully grand city. I wouldn't mind visiting it again. I definitely would not mind that. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We wanted to announce and welcome aboard our new moderator in the Spooktacular crew, Bob Sherfield. Hey, Bob, welcome. We were feeling a little female heavy in our administrator and moderator positions. So I said, you know, we got to bring some male energy in here. So we brought Bob on. And it would only make sense because Bob has been very supportive of this podcast for a very long time. Oh, and you guys have no idea all the work he does behind the scenes, helping to keep me organized and on top of stuff. He's just been amazing. So thank you so much for that, Bob. The Edgar Allan Poe Challenge, we are still doing it with the HGB Running Club. There are still a few of you out there. You have until March 31st to get that completed. We've had a handful of us already finish that up, but don't worry, Denise is still working on it. So Yes, I am definitely still working on it. And for some reason, the event disappeared on Facebook. It is horrible about if you have an event that goes longer than a day, trying to keep it somewhere where people can see it is almost impossible. I don't know why they do that. And now it apparently has disappeared altogether. So we're going to work to get it back up there again. If you did not join us on this one, but you'd like to join us on a future and you don't have to run, it can just be walking. We're going to be announcing the next one on April 1st. 
walking, jogging, skipping, crawling, however you join us, we're just happy to have you on part of the team. If you do decide to add rollerblading, I highly recommend wearing a helmet. And why would that be, Denise? Because I was just going to go for a little rollerblade to get a couple more miles done on the challenge. So I didn't have a helmet on and my rollerblades kind of crossed each other. And when I tried to adjust, they kind of flipped up in the air and I landed on the pavement on the back of my head. And speaking of the HGB Running Club, we are making up some running shirts for that, but we wanted to have a design that we could put on those. So we are doing a contest for that. You have until midnight March 31st to send in any of your designs. It just needs to definitely say HGB Running Club on it somewhere. We have already gotten a couple of entries. One of them I know we're going to make into a shirt because I just love it and I I have to have it on a shirt. So that one's definitely going to be available. Any other ideas, we'd love to have them and send those to historyghostbump at gmail.com. We did get an email from Ashley. Greetings. Yesterday, I was listening to the latest episode of History Goes Bump about Western Carolina University. I found myself drawn to this episode more than others because I was a resident advisor, resident assistant at a university in St. Paul, Minnesota for three years. We were required to go on one round after 1 a.m. Rounds constituted of walking through each residence hall building, every floor, checking the bathroom and any other communal area. It always gave me a creepy feeling because of how quiet and empty the buildings could be. The more senior RAs would always attempt to scare the newcoming RAs with ghost stories or tales of the job. I was always skeptical of the stories, nor did I have the time to research the stories. To this day, I still don't believe them, but other residents or RAs may have had encounters. And then she shared with me, the real reason I wanted to reach out was on the topic of haunted colleges, universities. As an RA, we were also required to design an informational bulletin board once a month. My first year during the month of October, I decided to do the top 10 most haunted colleges. As you've noticed throughout your research, many sites claim to be the most haunted or the top haunted. A simple Google search proved that the top 10 can vary. However, several colleges, universities kept cropping up in my search, so I created my own top 10 list. One such college university was Ohio University. I was conducting this research late at night and was scheduled to go on round soon. Let's just say that I actually called a friend to go with me. If you're ever looking for another college university research, I would love to see if what I read was really true. And so she sent me that uh, list that she had made up. And so that was a lot of fun. And when I looked, Ohio University in my Haunted Universities book has a lot of locations in there. So it's definitely on our list for the future. And then Chris wrote, Diane and Denise, I came across your podcast last year. It was recommended by one of the other podcasts I listened to. It was either Hillbilly Horror Stories or Real Ghost Stories Online. I lost track of how I heard of each of the podcasts I listened to. I have that same problem. It's almost like a spider web of mystery, intrigue, chills, and thrills. Anyway, your podcast pulls in together two of my favorite interests, history, and most people might think ghosts, but actually travel. Okay, three of my favorite things, including ghosts and the supernatural. So I thought that that was really cool that this was pointed out that it was history and travel, not just necessarily history and ghosts. That is cool. We have some Apple podcast reviews to share with everybody. First up is Faithful192, My Two Cents, Five Stars. Great show, you two. You do a great job looking at these locations. I love that you look at the history, not just the haunted side, as too many people just quickly mention it and only focus on the haunting. You really do a good job making sure that we remember these locations, even though they don't have the greatest pass. We need to learn about these places so we don't repeat the past. Thanks so much and keep up the fantastic work. Well, thank you. Hello Kitty. Awesome podcast. Five stars. I love listening to this show. I enjoy both the history and potential hauntings. The first podcast I listened to was the one about ghosts in the Bible. That was very intriguing. I like that the ladies present the information and tell the listeners that it's up 
to them to decide if the haunting is real. And then Katrina Ray, a community podcast, five stars. I've been listening for a while now, became Facebook friends with the hosts and joined the Spooktacular group. They are two absolutely sweet women you can't help but love. I binge listened to nearly the entire backlog of episodes in a handful of weeks. I truly feel welcomed into the HGB community. Well, thank you for that, Katrina. And you definitely are a very awesome contributing part of that community. We enjoy having you. We want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. And we are welcoming into the Executorious Ordinator Necropolis, Matthew Zubka with a niche wall, Laura Williams with a chest tomb, Kathy Moormeyer with a marble headstone, Whitney Zahar has a garden crypt, and Anna Prado-Frias has moved on up. She is upgrading to a mausoleum. Such a pretty mausoleum you have, Anna. Thanks to all of you. We greatly appreciate that. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com.